podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, welcome back to the Villa View. We're here eventually on our 50th piece of new software. We try to go for the fancy stuff available. It never works, but hopefully we are on air at the moment. This is a match preview for Aston Villa against West Ham, which is a Sunday 2pm kickoff. This show is in association with Betmate. And if you want to join our Sunday 2pm league, you can. You'll get the chance to win your share of £600. And being the good Betmate customer that I am, I've already preloaded my team. I've done my team for the weekend Sunday games, which should flash up on the screen any second now. Neil's with me here as well, by the way. Neil, I don't know whether we can hear you at the moment. Are you there? I am. I'm yes, here indeed. Here's Neil. So this is my team based on the Sunday 2pm games, which is Villa West Ham and Wolves against Newcastle. So I've gone relatively Newcastle heavy because Nick Pope's had a good start to the season. Trippier, exactly the same, although I do think he should have been sent off last week, in my opinion. Got to put a couple of Villa players in there as well. So I've gone with Cash and Watkins. Bruno Gamarez, because I think he's a lovely footballer. Suchek, because I think he'll absolutely bully Villa's midfield to death, so I may as well put him in my side and get some kind of joy out of Villa being hopeless in midfield. And then to finish it off, because he hasn't scored in the Premier League yet and he's probably going to get his first start at the weekend, let's put Skamaka in there. Yeah, you know the rest. We're Villa fans. We know what happens for these kind of things. So, yeah, that's my team for my bet, mate, this week. Join the Villa, join the 2pm league. There's my dog, by the way. Join the, Join our league and you'll get to try and win your share of £600 and you'll get to try and beat me as well, which I'm sure will be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Here's Neil. Neil, we're here to preview Aston Villa v West Ham on Sunday. Obviously, it's on a Sunday because West Ham have played in the Europa League last night. They won. They're through now to the real thing. Scored some nice goals, actually. Skamaka, as I mentioned earlier, off the mark. But in the Premier League, West Ham are stuck on zero points, zero wins, not look particularly great in any of their games. So, Neil, we know the drill, don't we? Yeah, it's going to be 4-0 like we, like it was last year against Southampton. We're going to win 4-0. It's going to be a 90-minute performance and it's going to be completely against the grain. Or it's probably going to be 2-0 with Declan Rice and Suchek scoring and dominating the game like they did on the 30th of October last year. And the reason I remember it was because it was the day after my daughter was born and I was watching it in the maternity ward and I was supposed to be all joyous because I, I was just after having a new child. And I sat there with my head in my hands going, what are we doing bringing, um, bringing Ashley Young on in central midfield? So, uh, I mean, was, was it more pain, Was it a more painful experience for your other half or was it a more painful experience for you? Probably well, for you, you now, watching us get decimated 4-1. I, I, I couldn't get an epidural watching Aston Villa, although I did try and ask for it. So it didn't no. happen. It's an unpleasant game. That was as, as we started to realise that Dean Smith's tenure was probably coming yeah. towards an end. I think Mings was dropped for that game as well, wasn't it? It was Courtney Hawes came in. Ben Johnson, I think, scored his only goal he scored for West yes. Ham. Declan Rice scored a P-roller. Antonio bullied us. Jared Bowen started to show the form that made him get into the England squad towards the end of the season. It was just a real bad day. West Ham, I was speaking to a West Ham fan yesterday, or on Wednesday, sorry, at Sky, and he was saying, we're hopeless, you'll beat us, we're rubbish at the moment. But I, I was just saying to him, you know, Watford came to Villa Park last season in a completely hopeless run where they hadn't done anything of note for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they turned up and they beat us 1-0. And over the years, Villa have just been the gift. 
that, that gives teams exactly what they need in these situations. And being perfectly honest, West Ham are a team that we haven't had a good record against recently. They've, they've had a stupid amount of luck against us in mm. recent years as well. The West Ham fan, again, that, that I was talking to was saying that they've had some really lucky things go for them in the last few years in games. But once again, we're coming up against a physical side, a big side, and that's our Achilles heel. They're, they're, they're the kind of sides that we can't deal with. We haven't made any additions in, in the week. They've, they've again, gone and, gone and made some. They've, they've got Emerson in from Chelsea, who may come in and play left wing back. I know they've had mm. problems in defence, West Ham. They've got Paqueta, who looks like he's on his way for 50 million. That's an absolute hell of a signing for West Ham. He, luckily, won't be playing against us. West Ham are building. Villa, we're not really sure. Stephen Gerrard intimated today that we're not really close on anything now. Ideally, after the last league performance, I know we won in the Cup. We probably would have liked a new face in before this week, just to try and galvanise us a little bit. I don't believe a word Stephen Gerrard says about transfers anymore. I think he's... I, I think he's... Like, it wasn't him who released the SAR news, and I think what he's doing is uh, completely locking it up um, over that because the club took a lot, of, took took a, a pretty big hit on social media because of the 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 SAR news that turned out not to be. And, and I think he's just playing his cards close to his chest. I'd imagine that there are things ongoing over the next few days, but obviously they're not going to be here before Sunday. And maybe he doesn't want them as a needless, um, how will I put it, a distraction maybe before the game on Sunday. But yeah, uh, you're right that this team, this specific type of team and this specific setup of a team that uh, West Ham have strong in the middle, big strong men, try to dominate the ball in the middle of the field and uh, get it to their to their crafty forwards. Um, we never play well against those. We can't defend against uh, when teams uh, attack with four and uh, we can't break down teams who sit deep with two big strong midfielders like we saw against Crystal Palace and West Ham set up very much like Crystal Palace. So... Uh, Aston Villa, hopefully they learned something from their trip to Sellers Park last week. They can deal with the likes of Fornals if he's playing or, or whoever starts in that in that tree behind the, the, the front striker who may be Skamaka, uh, maybe Antonio. I think again. he will. I think he'll be Skamaka. I, I think he'll start him. I, th- I think he will too. I think he will too. But the big thing here is how do you break down Rice and Suchek? And then once you break down Rice and Suchek, you're bearing down on, on, on that new guy from... Um, What's his name? How do you pronounce it? Kira? Uh Kira from Correa. I mean both of us are probably wrong. Yeah. So like they're they're two big men as well. And maybe Kurtzuma comes back in uh in for Frog Bonner, but Look, they've got plenty of experience back there in the centre-half position and they've got those two people who go sit in front. And then they've got Ben Rama, Fornals, Lanzini, Corne. Yeah, look, they've 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 a nice blend of players within that team. They should be able to click. They're they're a team that, that David Moyes has instigated his uh, his um setup in for the last couple of years. But I will say it again, Aston Villa have good players too. We have got good players too, and as I say, all eyes will not really be on the team sheet uh for this sun- this Sunday because we know who we've got. And my all my eyes, eyes are on the team sheet because do you not think Douglas Luiz perhaps did enough in midweek to, to get himself into the team. I, but, I, I think he has to play. I, yeah, I, I've been I, saying it all season. He has to play. But my my big thing with, with the eyes the being on the team sheet is more, it's going to be in the dugout because what have we learned? What are we going to implement and what, how are we going to set up? Are we going to move from this from this, uh, what seems to be a pretty stubborn four three three, are we are we going to get it right? Are we going to play two nines? Are we going to play two tens? So the names and the team sheet, there's going to be no sparklingly, um, outstandingly, you know, um, name 
pie in the sky name or a name that just comes in out of nowhere. It's going to be the same 18 players, 19 players that we see on match days. So for me, it's not really a massive thing. It's how we set up and how we're actually going to play this game. And do we start looking at, you know, maybe adapting the way we play against the team that's got this big, got a lot of firepower here and control in the middle of the field. And maybe are we just comfortable getting draws and sitting back even at home? Like we can't be too proud to play the way that gets points and the way that gets gets results for the team because realistically speaking, we scored a goal against uh, Crystal Palace away from home and we were going home for the next two minutes. We got caught in the counter, and that's just that's just lack of preparation or that's just lack lack of footballing intelligence on the field. So for me, um, I just want to see that. Uh, I I I don't really care who plays at this stage. I just want to see coherency on the field. I mean, I don't think you'll. I don't think we'll move away from the three in midfield. That that seems no, to be what Gerard's so. wed to. I don't. I don't think he's going to just just change it right now. I'm not. I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I, I just think we will see a four three three or a four three one two. That that will be what what we do. But I do think Douglas is either way. He needs to be in. We can't fight fire with fire with West Ham because we don't have right. any physicality to bring in. There's nothing we can do. They're a bigger side than us. We've already been in disarray from set pieces the entire season. I imagine it's going to be another uncomfortable watch from set players defensively for Villa at the weekend. But what we can do is give ourselves more of a chance by getting Louise in the team. Someone who can get the ball quickly to Coutinho or get the ball quickly to Buendia or Bailey, whoever's playing in, the, in those front three positions, and run at the run at the defence, cause the defence problems. Some of their centre-backs when they play aren't, aren't the most mobile. You've got to cause them problems. Watkins has, has caused West Ham exactly. a few problems over recent years. He had that one game where he did every, he got everything right, but VAR kept absolutely killing him. He scored against them last season at Villa Park. Watkins has caused them problems over the last few seasons. So he has to play. I, I think Watkins has to play anyway in whatever setup Villa play. I think Watkins has to be in, in that best 11 for, for me. But Douglas Louise, he has to be in the team now. We can't just keep going. You know, I know what you're saying about the change of formation. Obviously, none of us really think he's going to do that. But you can't then just keep rolling out the same midfield three. Correct. Because that isn't working. You played Louise in, against Bolton in, in, in the Cup, maybe with one eye on, on this game, potentially. I just think he has to play. I know you're saying you don't care about who does play, but you cannot just keep doing that same midfield three, rolling out the same three players. Because it hasn't really worked. We've not really had much control in, in the away games, arguably a little bit more control in the Everton home game. But West Ham, like I said, are a team that we usually struggle against and the type of team we struggle against. So I just think he has to do something different and put Dougie in there. Yeah, and I think if Dougie comes in, I think, like, yes, people are going to say, McGinn doesn't deserve to start and he's captain and it's the people. Like, you see all this stuff in social media that, uh, and he had a poor game, McGinn did against Crystal Palace. We're not going to shirk away from that. We're going to call it as we see it. But they I think all, they all do. It, when we when we lose, you know, we lose together because no one's good. That I, I think I don't see how you can pick out any scapegoats in really because the, you know they're all below par. Yeah, I, I suppose what I'm getting at here is that he's going to keep McGinn in, and he's uh, if he does, and he's going to bring Douglas Louise in with in, in instead of Jacob Ramsey, and I'm okay with that. I, I, I'm okay with that from the fact that it does like even if he does that, it. it it allows Douglas Luiz to kind of hold his position a small bit more. It does offer us a small bit more of a defensive mindset from that side of the field. And yes, people are talking about Douglas Luiz's best position being an eight. We still need to see that in the Premier League on a more consistent basis. Played very well there last season against against Liverpool when he came in. Um, and against, I think it was Man City when he, he started there uh, as well when Kearney came on and had a shot sa- saved by, by Ederson. But... 
I yeah, I'm with you on that. I think I think it's probably high time that he does get a start. There's rumors floating around that he signed a new contract and it's only waiting to be uh be announced. There's obviously nothing official on that. So maybe Douglas Luis does uh see game time at the weekend. Um but going back to what I said at the very start is we have some really good players. You know, we, that's the you know, that's kind of the 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 conundrum for us is we've got some really good players. And so do West Ham. The only difference is we don't have that height and we don't have that drive in midfield. So bringing in somebody like Douglas Luiz, who, who um, you know, has anchored that sixth position for us, maybe. And, and and look, if you want to drop him back a small bit further, do. But if you don't and you want to play him in the in, in the eighth position, maybe he's going to be a bit dis- bit more disciplined or he's going to need to be a bit more disciplined, should I say, anyway, against this midfield um, for us to get anything from this. Because... As I say, when we, if if we if we start to click anywhere in the field, specifically in the forward line or in midfield, you know we do have the players to cause teams problems. We just haven't seen it in a consistent basis since, probably since, realistically speaking, twenty first game, twenty twenty, maybe. No, I think when Gerard first came in, although yes, we lost correct, games, correct, there was correct. there was a style you could see what what he was trying to do. I think there was elements of consistency. That we were at that point, we would beat the team. We were beating the teams you'd expect us to beat. And then we were just falling short to the top teams, which I think Villa fans can probably live with. I'd, I'd take that now. I'd be very, yeah. very happy with just beating the teams that you would expect us to win or expect us to give a good game. And then, you know, you have a good go against the big teams and just fall short. I think Villa fans can accept that. I think they can yeah. live with that. It's these performances. The two away performances have been absolutely appalling. Yes. You know, they've, they've not they've not, they've not, not been good. You can't dress that up. They haven't been good at all. So I think people can forgive, you know, if just falling short, if you're not quite good enough, but you've had a good go and you've seen some kind of coherency in your team, nothing from them two away games. So the home games now are massive because we, we, we've shown that away from home, we're very lightweight. We're kind of treading water when, when we go away from home. We've got some tough games coming up as well. You know, this, this home game on Sunday, it's huge actually for both teams. I think whichever manager, if well, I, mean, well, I know we could draw, but if either manager loses this game, I think they come under a little bit of pressure, which I think is very harsh on David Moyes, in all, in all honesty, the, the job he's done there. But I've heard rumblings that the fans aren't happy with, and the players aren't happy with the style of football and things like that. But in the main, it's been winning football. Yeah. For West Ham, I, I, I wouldn't complain about that. But obviously, if you're sitting bottom of the league, there's there's something wrong. You got even after four, four games, if you're bottom of the league, there, there's a little bit of problem somewhere, especially a team like West Ham, you would have thought, we're going to be pushing towards top six this season. They've recruited heavily, backed the manager. It's almost like you know, Moyes has probably been waiting for this backing for years. He's finally got it. And now, bizarrely, they're, bo- they're bottom of the league. But I think whichever manager, if a manager loses, I think they're under enormous pressure, which I don't think they should be at this stage of the season. I don't think any manager should be under massive pressure. But that's just the football world that we live in right now. There's a big argument to be made, I think, with the, this West Ham team, that they were squeezing so much talent and like every last drop of talent out of Mikel Antonio for years and years under David Moyes for the two years. And I think I think there was always kind of that question as to if that dried up and it didn't have that massive physical presence and his goals dried up, would everything behind him dry up as well? Because obviously they had fortified the defence and those two joints in midfield that we consistently talk about. And he does have those playmaking players behind him that move players around, move defenders around, move midfielders around. And when he starts to join, he starts to, um, to dry up and then Skamaka coming in, a lot of pressure on those two strikers up there. Skamaka's a good sign. He's a smart sign. I've, I've seen seen his goals. I've, I've looked at his clips from last season. He's a he's a dangerous player. I think he's a player that will suit the Premier League. Skamaka. I think he'll 
he'll get double figures for West Ham if he, if he gets the game time. You'd imagine the plan is for him to be the number one striker because they spent big money on him. You know, I think he gets himself in the box. He just he gets on the end of things. He backs himself. Skamaka, he's on, on the move. He's A lot of teams now are moving towards that that, pl- that advanced forward now that got a bit of size about them again, but are mobile. Mm. Haaland, Darwin, Nunes, Newcastle have just signed Isak who's going to be an incredible player. I think, I think that's such a good signing for, for Newcastle. I think that's a signing that whatever oh, whatever happens, Newcastle will do well out of that out of that signing. I think that's a really, really good signing, an exciting signing for the Premier League as well. But Skamaka, he's got some size about him as well. Teams are moving now towards that more physical physical like play. And then Villa, well, we've got no physicality whatsoever. That's, uh, that is a bit concerning that, that teams do seem to be going towards that model now. And we seem to be like do, trying something else that was like Barcelona... 10 years ago it's it's very much about athletes you know and there's it's like athletes are getting bigger taller stronger um and there'll come a time whereby yes you might be very very skillful and the messies of this world and and i've often i've often thought and i've often said it as well that messi could be the last of his kind you know he could really be the last of his kind to be that number one player in the world but without having that you know that that stature that sorry that that physical stature as well as everything else to go with it um, but you are right. You see, but you see it in lots of other sports. Um, people are getting bigger, faster, stronger, and, and the reason is that they're selecting athletes, natural athletes at younger ages, and and um, and working with them and working on them, and and um, maybe manufacturing players as well. That can be labelled at a couple of guys, and, and in Italy at times it was labelled at Skamaka, but. When you see him, he knows exactly where the back of the net is. They labelled that at Dusan Vlavic as well. When he first moved to Italy, they labelled yeah, him as well. he was a bit of a manufacturer player. But no, he certainly isn't. And uh, yeah, look, Lewandowski, I think, is is the guy who's really broke the mould and, and the Harry Kane's of this world. They broke the mould in that aspect and bring it back to the Drogba type striker. And uh, teams are finding these players and exploiting that because, uh, as I said, they're few and far between, though. They are few and far between. They're tough to find. Yeah, Chelsea last week against Leeds, and Leeds aren't the most physical team in the world, but they just just got outrun, got outfought. Mm. They didn't really have any physicality in their in their front line, Chelsea, and they, they look they look pretty feeble up top. I, I just think teams do seem to be moving toward more towards having six foot plus. If I think of the, the good Villa teams in my lifetime, it's probably been about three. You look back and you and you think like we played three at the back under under John Gregory, for example. I know this is a completely different footballing time, so in in, in a way, what I'm about to say is completely invalid. You know, set paces. I'm worried about set paces on Sunday against West Ham. Creswell deliveries, the big boys coming into the box. We've got Tyro Mings, who's of any substance, any size, and that is literally it. That that concerns me. You know, we had Hugo Ekiog in the, in the back three. So you had your three centre-backs good in the air. But then you had Ian Taylor in midfield, who was six foot plus. You had Dion Dublin, six foot plus, coming back from set paces as well. And we had a bit of size, a bit of physicality about us. This this side just doesn't have that, and in a lot of games, I do think that may cause us problems. And I think one of the reasons that we don't see Coutinho and Buendia together is because the two of them are wallflowers. From that point of view, they're both small, compact guys. And you know, if you're going to play two tens in that aspect, one of them is going to have to come back and defend at corners. And much and all as Buendia does, we've seen him come back into the box last season. He Good gives away, sometimes he gives away fouls. You know, and, and, and he get he gets caught in the melee as well there. It's bad enough having having uh having the players that we do have back there, but you know, bringing back even smaller players as well. So that could be one reason. I don't think it's a valid reason because you should be able to start out a set piece. Your striker should be able to come back. You should still be able to leave one man the edge of the box and a Coutinho up top as well. You should be able to start that out. But 
for me, you're dead right. Like one of the, and that's probably, that could be one of the reasons why, and I'm going to say it and the, the chat's probably going to go nuts at the moment, but like there's, there's a, there is more redeeming factors to somebody like a Jan Bednarek than, than I suppose social media gives him credit for, you know, and, and, and he's a big, he's a big guy who wins balls in the air. And arguably if Aston Villa could start out the defending by winning balls in the air comfortably and confidently, well, it could take an awful lot of of um of pressure off this defense, and maybe take some pressure off the midfield as well. And in no way am I saying that he's my number one choice, but you know I could understand why they would sign somebody like Bednarek. And uh, you know, let's see what happens over the next few days because we do need a bit of height somewhere in this team. That's why he's on Diego Carlos. Yeah, well, he's, he's only six big, foot. Phys- I know he's a he's bulky a phys- guy, but but he's a physical pre- he's a physical presence, isn't yes. he? Yeah. The strength in there, and we've lost that now. It, it's not there, and people have a go at Austin McPhee sometimes. And part of me thinks, if you're a set pace coach, yeah, you've got one guy who's good in the air in the whole team. Because Conter's, you know, that's not his game as a centre back. He's more on yeah. the on the floor defender, defending in in like on the on the floor rather than aerial duels. Conter Mings is the one who's going to come and head everything. But people have a go at Austin McPhee because we're not defending set pace as well, but. He hasn't got much to work with, I would say. If I was a set base coach, you'd be one of at least three or four six foot plus players in your team. That's just my opinion, but it's all well and good having a go at him. But when teams are coming at you and they're twice the size of you, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose the ball in the air. Dan, do you know what yep. we've been talking about Aston Villa? Aston Villa's height there for a while. I'm gonna put you on the spot with a little quiz. I like to call answer my damn question. So it's. Uh... I'm not gonna like the answer. I don't think. <laughs> Uh, what is the difference between the height of the Aston Villa team and the West Ham team? It's going to be something stupid like Villa at all, or isn't it? I is, don't know. It to... It's it's called answer my damn question. Okay, so what? <laughs> how, how am I formatting the first eleven, the entire squad? How are, how are we doing this? It's the first eleven. I think. So from the last game, it's at who scored. I'm pulling this directly from who scored. So uh, the lineups that who scored my, have. I give you the lineups, okay? Martinez, Dina, uh, Mings, Kanza, Cash, McGinn, Kamara, Ramsey, Buendia, Watkins, Ings. That's Aston mm-hmm. Villa's lineup. Yep. West Ham's lineup is Fabianski, Johnson, Zuma, Kerr, uh, whose name I can't pronounce, Cresswell, Rice, Suchek, Bourne, Lanzini, Fornals, Antonio. You say that three off the striker it really yeah. brings it down, doesn't it? I reckon it's probably level. I'll go level. Aston Villa's. First 11's average height is 182.9 centimetres average. That's my height. Certainly not mine. <laughs> and West Ham's is 180.7. No. But, well, it's like I said, the three after striker brings that down. But yeah. Antonio, Suchek, Zuma, Rice, who else with the career? God, I've mullied his name now as well. There's five players, six foot plus there. And a goalkeeper, six. Six players, six foot plus. Villa, there's... I know Conce is six foot, but I don't think he's particularly great in the air. I like, do you know what I'm saying? I, I, you've come out, you've come in with the facts. I'm not going to argue with who scored, because as I say, they employ me and pay me money, so I'm not going to argue with what they're saying. So, I'm shocked. I did say to you it'd be something silly. Yeah. But you, you, when you were watching that game on Sunday... And we're defending that first corner. Yeah. And it looks like the Alamo's coming forward and Villa are there like Tom Thumb defend, defending the Alamo. Then we'll, we will say, because it, it will not look like that. But yeah, let's wrap it up. Let's write a quick prediction then before we go now. 
I'm shocked at that. I knew I'm it was going to go be Aston stupid, Villa two, West Ham one. I'm going to go for a win. Why not? Let's let's stand in a while they're down. I'm going to predict us to lose. <laughs> I just I just think everything, all the things about West Ham not scoring, not getting any points, the set pieces, the size, they all scare me. And often, if I predict us to lose, we win. I don't predict us to lose very often. So I'm going to go Aston Villa one, West Ham three. I don't like doing it. I don't like doing it, but that this is the kind of team I just don't think we we can compete with at the moment in in terms of physicality and size. So, yeah, this has been the physicality and size podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it because that is literally all we've talked about for the last twenty four minutes. Thanks to our sponsors, Betmate, and thanks to Neil for joining me to have a chin wag as well. We'll be back with a post match point probably on Monday night after the Aston Villa West Ham game on Sunday. Those that are going, I'll see you there. Enjoy it. Hopefully we get some kind of enjoyment out of the game. Enjoy your Saturdays because they're not going to be ruined before Sunday. And yeah, up the villa. Sports Social Podcast Network.